What's going on, friends? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods. In this episode of the show, I'm super excited to introduce you to my friend, Kyle Kingsbury. Kyle is a retired mixed martial artist and UFC fighter and the host of the Kyle Kingsbury podcast. He's an all-around brilliant guy who studies how diet, nutrition, training, plant medicine, and even technology can be harnessed for optimal cognitive and physical performance. This podcast is going to be a masterclass in the tricks and tactics that Kyle uses to foster a better mind and body connection, marrying technology and the best of ancestral wisdom. Among other things, you're going to discover Kyle's top hacks for better sleep and his favorite sleep tracking device, the benefits of cold and heat stress, and how to reap those benefits even if you don't have access to a sauna or cold plunge, why Kyle defaults to a ketogenic diet, and his intuitive training program that keeps him in killer shape without the bro split that's often recommended in fitness circles, and so much more. Now, before we get into it, this episode of the show is brought to you by my good friends at Four Sigmatic. I began my day today with a smoothie in which I incorporated a packet of Four Sigmatic's Lion's Mane infused coffee. Their coffees are all organic, and I like the fact that some of them incorporate uh, Lion's Mane, which is a quote-unquote medicinal mushroom that is purported to have cognition-boosting effects. Now, while the benefits of these types of mushrooms are perhaps unsettled signs, I genuinely enjoy the way that their coffee makes me feel, and I'm super glad that they have chosen to support the genius life. And if you'd like to give anything at Four Sigmatic a try, all you got to do is head over to foursigmatic.com slash max or use promo code max, and you'll get to save a whopping 15% off of everything in their online store, which is the biggest discount that you're going to find for Four Sigmatic products anywhere. So head over, give them a shot, and uh, tell them Max sent you. Now, guys, we're just seconds away from my chat with Mr. Kyle Kingsbury. I feel like this is going to be one of those episodes that you come back to again and again. There's just so much good information packed within the next uh, hour. So get your pens and papers ready. Um, But before you do that, please, guys, go over to maxlugavere.com and join my newsletter, which is one of the primary ways that you can support the Genius Life podcast. What doing that does is it gives me an algorithm-free pipeline to your brain so that I can share with you science that has the potential to improve your life, products that I'm really digging, exclusive discounts, and updates on my latest projects. Every single one of my emails is handwritten by me and explicitly designed to improve your life, and you can opt out at any time. So again, that's maxlugavere.com. Join the newsletter. That would be very, very much appreciated. All right. Well, that's enough for me. I'm excited to get into it with the brilliant Kyle Kingsbury. I had the pleasure of hanging with him recently in Venice Beach, California, and let's get on with our chat. Here we go. Kyle Kingsbury, thank you so much for being here with me, man. Hell yeah, brother. Dude, it was so good to hang with you in Austin when we first met and you had me on your podcast, which you know I'm super grateful for. And, uh, I just love following you on social media, on Instagram. You're always doing cool things on hunts and exotic far out places, wearing speedos with other friends of mine, like, <laughs> you know, getting your vitamin D. It's awesome. Um, but one of the things that I love about, about you and guys like you is that like me, you, you've sort of become a walking meta analysis in essence, because you host this podcast, you talk to, you know, brilliant minds from all around the world, all different facets of science and health and wellness and biohacking and, you know, athletics. So let's just get into like some of the things that have most excited you, some of the, you know, biohacks, the principles that you've integrated into your life um, that you've found, I guess, the most, uh, you know, return on. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, 
it's funny because that that I, I'm I'm down with that term because I grew up in the Silicon Valley and I think like all right you're just hacking the system and then obviously a lot of people kind of go back and forth on uh, how legit that term is you know I remember biohacking yeah, yeah I remember speaking at PaleoFX and somebody was talking about we we're on a biohacking panel he's like I don't consider any of these biohacks like if you were to get an implant into, into your skin like that's hacking your biology or something you know some type yeah. of cyborg futuristic you know, whatever humans turn out to be down the road. But um, really to that note, I think it's, it's the opposite. It's, it's using, utilizing technology or not utilizing nature even to hack how we used to live and get fill in the blanks on whatever we're missing now. So, you know, what, what has been the biggest bang for my buck is walking outside, moving more during the day, you know, and that's, it's, I mean, it is fucking cliche as hell, but you know, Mark Bell, we just did his podcast up in, up in Sacramento and he has this thing that Mark Bell's 10 minute walk and he does 10 minute podcasts for people hmm. to listen to on their walk. Or you can just go unplugged, you know, like Dr. Andy Galpin and, and Brian McKenzie have the book unplugged and listen to the sound of birds, listen to the sound of cars, listen to anything that you hear, but perceive that, that level, that vibration of nature. And that vibration of cars even, but not the vibration of music and the vibration of podcasts and audible. And I'm a huge fan of podcasts, audible and music, but occasionally it's important to do that. So it's about a one mile loop around on it and I'll walk a mile, maybe three or four times a day at different points of the day, or I'll set aside a block, like especially if I'm grinding through a really good book and I'll walk eight or 10 miles hmm. listening to the book. And that's in addition to picking up something heavy here and there, you know, a couple days, two, three yeah. days a week, I'll lift. But um, walking is a big one, moving more during the day, because that's what we all used to do. And you look at blue zones and different places in Europe where people walk a lot, even in, among, I forget who was talking about, I'm sure it's been, t been <laughs> I might be beating a dead horse here, but a lot of our great philosophers and thinkers would go, they do walking interviews or walking phone calls, or they'd go for, go for walks to contemplate. And I think, um, I forget which book I was reading it in, but people are so focused on doing or meditating, right? So we have the go, go, go type A personality. And then how do we scale that back? Well, we got to have the flip side of that. So it's yin and yang or yin and yang. And that, that flip side is to get more yin, get more still, be more quiet. But the happy medium in between that is contemplation. And that's done best moving. So if you're walking and it's not super taxing, you can get some of your best thought there, right? Mm -hmm. And you can work through things. Same thing, you know, on the shitter. A lot of people are like, <laughs> man, I get my best quiet time on the can because I don't have my kids yelling at me. I don't have this or that. And if you don't bring your phone into the can, that's a great time to contemplate, right? If you're on your phone, it's almost like watching TV while you're eating. You're not really present with that, with yeah. that special time, right? It's so true, but like who doesn't bring their phone into the can with them these days? I feel like <laughs> I feel like growing up we used to read the shampoo the backs of the shampoo bottles <laughs> over and over again. Something, but that's just a way we distract ourselves, right? And yeah. we do that with every fucking way. You know, people talk about drug addiction all the time, but we're addicted to shopping, we're addicted to all sorts of stuff. We're really addicted to media. That's what it comes down to. And I love that the iPhone has that you were up. 78% this week on your social media and you're like, motherfucker, oh, you know, like, damn it, I got sucked down the <laughs> rabbit hole again, you know, that kind of thing. But it's cool because, um, and I guess that'll lead to my next one. These are in no particular order, by the way, but self-quantification, right? Mm -hmm. If you can attach a number to it, and this is, you know, really goes into a concept I was talking about with uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman up at Stanford recently was like this, the religion of science. We're so 
focused on what science brings to the table. And really that comes down to numbers. Yeah. So if we can quantify things with a number, then it's real to us. Right. So, um, and, and in that we lose the sense of feeling, right? Like, like feeling out our sleep, but I'm really in a self quantification. Uh, I wear this whoop watch. Hmm. I think it's the best one on the market for sleep. Sleep is for sure the best biohack on the planet. Like you get a good night's sleep. And again, that's where people are like, it's not a biohack to sleep. Everyone fucking sleeps like, yeah, but optimizing sleep is critical. It doesn't matter if your goal is fat loss. It doesn't matter if your goal is performance, strength training, any of these things, it all comes down to sleep. If you got a big meeting the next day or a presentation or a podcast, fucking sleep's number one, right? There isn't, and Huberman said that he's like the best nootropic on the planet is a good night's sleep. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. You're so right. Yeah, it's uh, I've I've was part of a clinical trial actually using the Whoop to assess biomarkers and how they would relate to cognitive performance um, at the uh, at the Alzheimer's Prevention Clinic in New York actually mm. for a while. But um, it's cool. I'm starting to see those uh, on you know people wearing them, which is interesting because for a while it was just the ring. Yeah, and the Aura Ring's great. I think that. It's problematic when I'm deadlifting and doing different things yeah. or punching the heavy bag. Whoop doesn't seem to be an issue there. The thing I love about the Whoop is it uses machine learning. So you have um, in this, sorry, this is a fucking giant plug here, but machine learning, they'll ask me every night how I've slept. So a lot of, one of their questions is, did you share a bed? And I'd say nine times out of 10, I share a bed with my son who's just turned four, right? Mm -hmm. And we plan on co-sleeping for another year, but as we work to have our our next child will be weaning him away from that. Hmm. So if I don't sleep with him, like on a trip like this, and I say I didn't share my bed, then it will compare that data to all the times that I've slept with my son. And wow. it'll say, well, you get 12% more REM sleep when you sleep alone, hmm. things like that. So it's really cool to kind of play with that and see what it looks like. Um, the most important piece, you know, and people are thinking about, oh, yeah, well, I don't have a son or, oh, I, I always have to sleep with my son. So there's no comparison. That's fine. But playing with things like CBD, uh, obviously, I work for Onnit. So shameless plug here. I use their new mood and then Alpha Brain before sleep will double my REM score. Is an Alpha Brain a, I don't know much it's about a, the It's a plant-based nootropic huh. and it's generally taken like pre-podcast. I took some today. Wow. Uh, you can take it before workouts. You know, Tim Noakes is a professor out of... Um, out of South Africa and he's big in the keto space. Obviously, you know him. Yeah. Um, but one of the things he talks about in running is how the brain is that central governor. So it's your brain shutting down when you bonk. It's not your muscle mm. because the body intelligently knows however much source you have of glycogen. If you're not in a two fuel system where you're metabolically flexible, that becomes an issue and the brain will demand more. So it'll shut down your limbs. Mm. Uh, I find that very fascinating, but I also think of nootropics as a performance enhancer for workouts yeah. because of that reason, right? So anywho, if you take it before night, it increases REM sleep and that's really important for cognitive function. But how does it, how does it have those dual effects of being a, like a stimulant, I guess, before your workout it's and then not, also helping you? It's not you? a stimulant. So, huh. and, and most of Onnit's products have been non-stimulant based because that's, if you like stimulants, you're probably already on them. Hmm. You know, like if, if you, I've played with modafinil for years on and off again. Um, obviously coffee caffeine is the world's favorite drug. 
and and people don't look at it as a drug, but it's damn sure a fucking drug. It's it totally changes your consciousness. It's very addictive. I have more withdrawal symptoms when I come off caffeine for like an ayahuasca ceremony than any other drug mm. that I take. Any other drug by mm. far. I feel that difference. I'll get. I mean, I wouldn't call it a migraine, but it's throbbing headaches mm. from from my withdrawals from caffeine. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just it, it teaches you how to play with different things. Does the supplement work or not? It doesn't have to be um, just my thought process behind that. I can actually look at the data and tell that it's working in different ways and how it's working. Hmm. And I think that really empowers people. Also, I mean, even just from a sleep hygiene standpoint, if you're not into supplements and spending money and figuring shit out that way, like what happens if I turn my Wi-Fi off at night? What happens if I you know, have blackout blinds and invest in that. Do I sleep better? Do I have less disturbances through the night? All that's a factor. We were at my buddy's place uh, in Foster City. Mike Salemi, do you know Mike? Mm, no. He's a great dude. You should mm. you should definitely podcast with him. Um, he's finished all of Paul Check's courses. Uh, he's into a number of different movement practices. He's, he's good buddies with Aaron Alexander as well and, and a lot of our, our mutual friends. Um, but yeah, we we're staying at his house and, you know, he didn't, he, his blinds for whatever reason were kind of, the string that lowers them all the way were broken. So they were like three quarters of the way down and there's a street light outside. Hmm. And I was like, man, I wonder how that's going to affect my sleep. And I had like 11 disturbances. You know, anytime I would roll over, the light would flash in my, on my eyelids and it would fuck me up. I'd be awake for a second. I didn't really correlate that until when I looked at the data the next day, I was like, Oh shit. Wow. I woke up 11 times last night. Like that's, that's a pretty significant change. Yeah. Generally, that number is between three and four times in a night. I might have to pee or if bears with me. You know, I'll see those numbers look consistently at three, maybe five tops. So 11, it was like, damn, all right, that's the effect of that streetlight out there. Right. You know, so there's, there's different things. You know, sometimes it's situational. I couldn't do anything to change it. I wasn't going to be like, Mike, run to the store, go to Bed Bath & Beyond right now and hook me up. Or I'm going to go there and fucking install this for the two nights that I'm here. But when I'm home, you can definitely set stuff up that will help with sleep hygiene and, and ultimately affect your sleep score and your recovery. Hmm. You know, and we pay attention to so many different things with self quantification, like HRV levels and all this stuff. What impacts that one? Can I feel comfortable in my own skin? Can I get still? Can I dip into parasympathetic before bed Two, How do I sleep? Well, that's largely dependent upon how I really exercise the room to a place where it's the best possible sleeping environment. Um, yeah, sleep's such a big one. It's such a big one. And I think the scariest thing is that you can have an effect on your... I mean, research now is starting to show that there can be an effect on your next day cognitive function via stimuli that doesn't even necessarily wake you up, right? Like even dim light, I think they've shown from mm -hmm. like a, a candle, essentially, can still go in through your, your eyeball, through your eyelids. The, the fucking smoke detectors that have a tiny red light or a tiny green light even, right? Wow. I think guys like Luke Story are so, <laughs> so into this. <laughs> yeah. they'll, keep, they'll take black electrical tape with them when they travel and they'll put it over any possible wow. light in the room. Wow. And if they lay down and they miss the spot, they kind of feel that, they'll look around <laughs> and they'll find it and they'll go throw a little more black electric tape on it when they're in hotels and Airbnbs. And like, that's, a, that's the next level of the game. I'm not quite there yet. Um, that's dedication. That is dedication. But, you know, that's, I mean, some people are more sensitive than others. You hear that with EMFs. You yeah. know, like you, you, there's uh, the non-tinfoil guide to EMF. It's a good one by, by Nicholas Pino. Hmm. Um, we had him on the show back in the day. And 
you know, that's one of the things I like about his approach to it is like, look, you might not feel your fucking Wi-Fi. Let's be honest here. But some people are really affected by it. Some mm-hmm. people feel it. Some people feel it in their digestion or there's an uneasiness and anxiety that they get when they're around it because it is changing us whether we're, we're receptive or knowledgeable about that or not. Mm-hmm. If you can't perceive it, it doesn't mean that it's not affecting you. Fair. So I think uh, just having that understanding and knowing like, if it, that's also an issue I get too, is you throw the kitchen sink at people and they're like, fuck, where do I start? And it's like, well, you just do one thing at a time yeah. and whatever moves the bar for you feeling wise first, that's the thing that you're, you're focused on. You can prioritize your biohacks or whatever life changes you want to make, whatever lifestyle changes you find to be the most pertinent. That's what you focus on. Yeah. You, uh, okay. So we talked about walking, super important, quantified self, you know, trying to measure various aspects of your you know your behavior your sleep because what you can measure you can essentially improve um optimizing your sleep have you spent any time with uh any of these like red light photobiomodulation kits because i know you recently had the juve guys on your yeah podcast. the juve guys hooked me up uh with their elite system which is it's something it's palpable hmm. you know like and i even told them i was like it I'm rocking snooze right now. I, I use organic Swedish tobacco and, and we can get into that as a biohack if we mm-hmm. want. But um, I usually have one in. I can't wear, I can't have a snooze in while I do that because it's so, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, I could feel it. I don't know if I can feel it detoxing the body, you know, and there's a lot of red, a lot of science on um, red light and infrared therapy, helping the body to detox. And uh, a lot of people would be like, ah, prove that. Where's the science behind it? That kind of shit. But Dr. Ron Patrick, I find very intelligent and knowledgeable in the space. And, um, there's definitely an acceleration in the detox pathways when we have hmm. some form of red light and that can be from the sun. You don't have to buy a system, but if you get direct sunlight, you're going to get a lot of that too. Hmm. And if you are fair skinned, cause that's obviously a big question. People have concerns around sunburns and, and skin radiation. When the, when the sun's at its peak, that's where we get our ultraviolet light. And that's where we're going to produce the most amount of D3. Hmm. So if you're working to increase D3 naturally, you want to go out midday. It doesn't have to be for long. It'll be 15, 30 minutes if you burn. And don't wear sunblock. If you really can't be out, if you're from Sweden or someplace, Finland, that kind of thing, um, and you're close to the equator, if you go out in the waking hours from 9 to 11 or 8 to 10, and then at sunset, you won't burn. There's very little ultraviolet light at that point but you Mm. still get all the benefits of the red light and the infrared Mm. and that's near far mid it's all spectrums Mm. right so it's that's a really good way to hack that uh the sun the ultimate biohack you know so of course um but yeah red light when i when i get in front of the juve i feel like like a buzz in my skull especially when i'm facing it Mm. and um you know, I am going to measure, I measured testosterone before I got the machine mm. in all ways, luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone. I think I spent a thousand bucks at, uh, excuse me, wellnessfx.com. Wow. And so it was very comprehensive and it did a lot more than hormonal stuff, but I do want to see how the hormones are affected by that because that's some of the things that they're finding in science is this can be a way to hack. And that's why they say to go naked, have your balls right next to it. <laughs> have your ball, have yeah, the light hit your balls. Yeah, you have the light hit your balls. And if you're a lady... You know, have that hit your, your, your lady genitals and, <laughs> um, and you see, obviously it's different for men and women, but these sex hormones that help with recovery and energy and a lot of things that, that are all things good. We see that shift in the right direction. So, I mean, 
fingers crossed. Hopefully yeah. it's working. Hopefully it's not just placebo, but we'll have, we'll have those numbers probably in a couple of months here. Okay. So I have to ask you because they, they sent me a little, a smaller version of the light. I'm not as cool as you, so I didn't get the full elite package or whatever, but I have one that's like, it's about two feet high and I've tried to, you know, I've put, I've shined it on my nether regions because that's what everybody's talking about, right? Like it's going to boost your testosterone. You know, it hits like the Leydig cells or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, what concerned me was that the unit gets warm. Yes. And like, don't you not want to have warmth on your well, on first, your, that's your balls? First, that, that comes down to sperm, right? <laughs> sperm, sperm don't like, and that's why our balls are on the outside of our body, <laughs> right? That's why if you're, you go to hot yoga and you're wearing uh, not spandex, your balls will sag like an old man's. <laughs> that's to keep them away from the heat. And when you're cold, that gets sucked up, right? Because you don't want it to be too cold because that'll hurt them as well. So the balls are flexible. They're moving always. I love it. I'm learning um, how my balls work. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, really it comes down to sperm production and sperm health for reproductive health. Mm. Intermittent heat is not an issue. Mm. It's when they're consistently hot. And mm. they say that, that I think if you wear, um, say I was to wear my my glorious speedo all day long. That would be an issue because I'm no longer allowing my balls to create space as necessary from its environment. Wow. Uh, if you wear tidy whities or briefs like the old timers used to, that can be an issue. Hmm. And, and same goes for, um, you know, spandex or, 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 you know, you got, you got some virus, uh, compression shorts. That's going to be an issue. If you wore that every single day as your undergarment, I don't wear underwear anymore. I'm always commando. Uh, and if I'm working out, I'll throw on those, those nice tight, you know, virus compression shorts so I can run and not get yeah. chafage and all that kind of shit. But it's for an hour a day or 40 minutes in a day. It's not going to hurt you. Makes total sense. Yeah. So the intermittent heat, not an issue. Our bodies are meant to respond to heat and cold throughout the day, the fluctuations of nature. And I think that'll, that'll go. We just talked about light. I mean, that'll go right into the next one is temperature extremes, right? I mean, that's. And again, you don't have to outfit your house with an ice bath and a sauna, um, but really living in tune with the climate. So in the summer months, we let it get a little hotter in the house. That way there's no, you can, you can have some escape from the heat, but you're still dealing with warmer temperatures because it's that time of year. And when it's colder, we don't turn the heater on. We might bundle up still. But there's parts of my body, like my face, my head, my hands, that are going to experience the cold. Hmm. And that can have immune system benefits. But most importantly, it teaches my body that flexibility of what we've been missing, right? And I know everyone's beating this drum to death, but it's still worth mentioning. If you, it's kind of like, I guess it's, it's analogous to carbohydrates. If every waking meal you eat carbohydrates your entire life, there's no longer metabolic flexibility there. If your whole life you were in 72 degrees in the house, 72 degrees in the car, 72 degrees at work, you're no longer experiencing that. And you see that scientifically from children having a much higher brown fat percentage in their body. Brown fat being the regulator of metabolism, also the regulator of temperature in the body. And you look at adults, far less brown fat adipose tissue, much more white adipose tissue, which is the fat that we don't want, hmm. right? So if we even just go to cold showers and being out in the heat, uh, you know, I used to do this when I lived in Vegas for four months. I did this poor man's guide to heat shock proteins. Oh, man. And so I would throw on my full ASU warm-ups with my, my fighting, my, my weight cut rubbers <laughs> over the top. And I'd, I'd take a half-gallon Yeti with me and go for a walk for about an hour each day in the dead heat of the sun. So oh it'd be God. 115 degrees outside. 
I'd be sipping my water, listening to Audible. <laughs> and I'd go for a slow, snail-paced walk. And I'd be huffing and puffing by the end of the walk because of the heat, just drenched wow. in sweat. And a lot of times I'd finish my workout with that. So I'd lift weights in the garage, get a good sweat going, throw all the gear on, and then go out for that walk. And we've seen, I mean, Greenfield talks about this, Rhonda Patrick talks about this. There's a lot of benefits to increasing your heat shock proteins post-workout. So immediately following a workout when you're already turned on, you're already warm, you do this and you can see a reduction in delayed onset muscle soreness, you can see faster recovery, and you're getting a two for one because you've been able to lift weights and improve muscle tone and strength. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, you finish with this low level, low and slow cardio that's you know zone one, zone two exercise, which Dr. Peter T is into and a lot of people in the performance space. It's critical, but it also helps with recovery. So like there is bang for your buck when it comes to that. And those are the things that I look for. How can I optimize my day so I get the most out of the least amount of time commitment? And I think that's that's kind of where it goes. But if you have access to a sauna, I mean, fuck yeah, work out and then hit the sauna right after. If you have access to the cold, first thing in the morning or right before bed, that can help. Um, or in the evenings before bed. So, you know, I've outfitted, I think a lot of us have. Uh, these chest freezers, Aaron Alexander's got one, yeah. uh, uh, Kelly Strout and, and, um, Matt Vincent were the first guys to tell me about that, but you buy a chest, a meat freezer. And, uh, the one I did no affiliation with these guys, but home depot.com is 550 bucks for a 21 cubic foot chest freezer. I hit it with a little silicone caulking along all the cracks, hmm. filled it full of water. And then, uh, I got this one from Luke's story. You put in food grade hydrogen peroxide, about two cups. And then a couple bags of Epsom salt. And that will prevent anything nasty from going there. You still got to shower before you get in, that kind of stuff. But I'll get in that for anywhere between 3 to 15 minutes, depending where the temperature is. And it's always cold. I never have to go to the store for ice. I only have to change the water every few months. It's amazing. And, and you can get a water pump on Amazon for 80 bucks. you know, for one of those redneck above-ground pools. Yeah. Stick that in there to pump it out in five minutes. And uh, I can change the water out quickly, but I always have access then. So I think that we think about so many things in our lives from a convenience standpoint. And it's important that we have that exercise convenience. But what we can do to make our lives better from a lifestyle standpoint is to make things convenient for us that are good for us. Right. So that's something that Rob Wolf talks about or any great person that's in the health and wellness space, the diet space like yourself mm -hmm. is clean out the fucking pantry. That's usually in the <laughs> first chapter of every book, right? Yeah. Because good diets are hard enough. Why have garbage there to tempt you? Because if you can just walk and grab a Twinkie, you're kind of fucking yourself, mm -hmm. you know? So you clean that out and you leave really good snacks around like sea salt, macadamias, those kind of things, avocados, whatever you have access to it then. If you're working out and you're always, it's always a struggle to get to the gym because it's too far away or you have other commitments, time commitments, have a fucking kettlebell in your garage. It's all you need, you know, and you can build on that. But um, having the chest freezer at home and not having to worry about going to the store and spending 60 bucks on ice and loading a trough and filling it full of hose water, it makes a big difference, you know, and how often I'm able to get into the cold it's worth the 550 bucks and I've saved that much in ice already having it less than a year. It's amazing. And like, you know, listeners of my show, people who follow me on Instagram know that I'm a huge sauna fan. And so I love this idea of not needing a sauna, basically just being able to, you know, dress yourself and walk around outside. Obviously, you know, doing so is probably not without risk. So you want to, you know, like you're obviously I'm a healthy individual. You're a healthy individual. Yeah. yeah. 
to begin with, but it's a really, that is a super cool and convenient hack. And then the fridge thing I think is just amazing. That's brilliant. Um, man, there's so much that we could talk. So why do you think that biohacking has become so popular? Cause I have the same reservations about the term that you have. I think it's kind of a, you know, it's like a new, it's like a new term. It's become sort of a buzzword, like superfood, you know? Um, but still I feel like it, it works in many ways. I wonder, you know, if you have any thoughts as to why, why it's become something that, you know, that people are now talking about. Yeah. I don't know. I, th I feel like it rubs people the wrong way because of, <laughs> and I've learned a lot from Dave, Dave Asprey. Um, so I'll say that as a caveat, I've learned a lot from this guy. I'm not, I don't think he's a quack in all departments, but when he went on Rogan's and he was talking about, uh, and we'll, we'll leave the coffee out of this, but when he went on Rogan's, he was talking about how he works out once a month on his vibe plate. Mm -hmm. It's like, nah, son, like, that, <laughs> that, that, that ain't how it fucking works. <laughs> if you said once a week, I'd still laugh at you, right? Like you don't, you don't work out once a week and say that's all the physical conditioning you need, yeah. right? That is not how we used to live. So, and it's not that we were deadlifting every day either, right? We probably picked up things and maybe did some hard physical work here and there, or we went for a really hard long run chasing down an animal on, on a kill and we had to bring that meat back and hike it back. Yeah, that's hard work, but that might not, that wasn't done every day, yeah. right? Um, that low level constant activity through the day, that was done yeah. every day, right? So. Uh, but yeah, getting on a vibe plate, there's some science behind that for warming you up and, and opening up the body and, and priming the nervous system, but it's what you do after that, that matters. Yeah. The vibe plate's not the fucking workout. Sorry. It's yeah. not, it's not. So I think, but, but people generally do want to take care of themselves and we're always looking for the magic bullet. We're always looking for the thing that, that moves the needle the farthest and is like the next big thing. Right. And I, I've been in this space. You've been in this space for a while now. I still look for that thing. It's, it's, I don't know if maybe it's human nature to want that, you know, and, and try to find the best bang for your buck. So I think people are more in tune to that now because they realize like, I don't know, forget which, which principle it is, but you can do 20% for 80% of the gains. Yeah. Something like that. Right. So like that, that concept of like, man, if I can do a little of this one really important thing, it's going to really move the bar for me and be a big deal in my life. That's time saving. It's efficient. And if you can bring it to your house, it's pretty fucking convenient. Yeah. How'd you get into all this? Well, when I, when I was fighting, um, well, for, my, really, for listeners who don't know, why don't you just kind of briefly just, you know. Super brief. Yeah, <laughs> so super I briefly. Grew up as a football player and got into mixed martial arts and fought on the Ultimate Fighter. That was my doorway into the UFC. Fought in the UFC. And then when I was fighting in the UFC, really started to understand. Because I loved video games. I loved cannabis. I loved I loved all that shit as a kid in, and in college. Um, I realized... Any time, and I actually got this from my coach, uh, Noguera, on the Ultimate Fighter Season 8. It was his thoughts on jiu-jitsu were, if I'm not training jiu-jitsu once or twice a day, my opponent is, hmm. right? So my thoughts were, if I'm not, you can't train 24 hours a day. But in my off time, when that clock starts in between practices, what I choose to do with that matters. So if I'm jerking off, essentially, playing video games, I'm not learning anything new to help me hmm. get better. So I've read more in my fight career than I ever did in college and prior to that. And all the, all those things were, were based around things that I felt could help me. So getting into becoming a supple leopard by Dr. Kelly Stratt, how can I focus on my mobility, mm -hmm. which is incredibly important for everyone. Um, 
hot and cold temperatures, listening to podcasts, hearing Dr. Rhonda Patrick, you know, learning about the benefits of, of light therapy. All these things became different ways for me to improve. Mm. So if I was going to get hit in the head, I could mitigate the damage, which is guaranteed to happen. And maybe it would help me win too. Uh, that shifted for me when fighting ended about five years ago into one, how do I reverse any of the damage that was done to my brain? For sure, there was a lot done. Um, and then also, you know, how do I extend that? Can I have maybe not, I'm not going to live to 150, but I can live to 100 and really enjoy every year, hmm. right? I don't want to live long and have a shitty, decrepit body when I die. I want to live and be able to do all the things and go for hikes and still be active late into my life and then die. And I think that's, that's really what longevity for me means. So shifting gears from performance into longevity doesn't mean that I frown on performance or I don't think it's necessary. There's a lot of things that I'm talking about that help both, you know, you, the temperature extremes, yeah. they help both. They help you perform better. They help you recover more and they might extend your life. They might help you in the longevity space because of, as you and I both know, mitochondria being a huge factor there. Right. It's going to improve the mitochondria function. That's going to improve performance as well as longevity. Yeah. It's such a common thread. I mean, I feel like listeners of my show are familiar with Crosby Taylor, who was a you know, college athlete, Ben Greenfield, you know, and for, for, for me, because I've never been an athlete, you know, for me, I kind of look at athletes and I'm like, God, these guys look so healthy. They are like the pictures of health. But it's like this common thing that I hear over and over again, that that the world of professional sports beats you up. And then, you know, if you're lucky, you know, you end up like you have, like Ben has, like Crosby has, you know, coming back and realizing that, um, you know, health is, is the most valuable thing that there is and that, you know, what is good for performance isn't always going to be good for your mental health, for your physical health, for your longevity, et cetera. It's fascinating. Paul Chet gave me one of my favorite quotes of all time. Sooner or later, your health will be your number one concern. Hmm. That's it. It either happens on your deathbed or you, you, you figure that, or a crisis, like I got cancer or uh, early onset Alzheimer's, whatever that is, you can put it off as long as you want, but eventually it's your number one priority. Why not start that a little sooner? Why not get a, ahead of the curve? You yeah. know, and I think we're seeing that shift now, even in medicine, because for so long we just put all this power into the control of our doctor. The doctor knows the hall, the doctor knows. And I, and I love doctors I've interviewed a ton of them on this Cali trip. Um, but they don't ultimately control your health. You do. That's your responsibility. And I think people, as they start to understand that, realize how, if it is my responsibility, can I take control of that? And that really just comes down to being fascinated by it, wanting to learn more, wanting to, to, and it doesn't mean you have to read fucking giant texts and all that too. I mean, I once had this, <laughs> this vision in a psilocybin mushroom ceremony where I actually physically grabbed a book and ate it and then regurgitated it into the microphone. So the masses could get that breakdown of that wow. kind of like a mama bird regurgitating <laughs> to baby bird, you know, <laughs> it was like, that's it. You know, like a lot of this information I got, from podcasts first, listening to different authors talking about books. And then if it really resonated with me, I'd buy their book and listen to that on Audible or, or read the physical copy. And um, I think it's a great way, you know, like people like appetizers, you know, you, you want to have something that wets the palate and gets you interested in, in the meal that's coming. And I think that that really is where podcasts bridge the, bridge the gap for people. Yeah, podcasts are amazing. I mean, I feel like it's a great way to 
it's wonderful for networking, but beyond that, it's a great way to reach out to people who you admire or who you're curious about and to create content with them. I mean, without podcasting, you and I would, you know, probably not have connected. I mean, we have a lot of mutual friends, so actually maybe we would have, but it's a great way to, you know, just to, con to continue your own education. You know, I mean, look at like, I mean, you're brilliant. Look at all this knowledge you've just dropped for my listeners and like having a podcast was probably a major vehicle for you to attain that, you know, everything that you know. Yeah, listening to podcasts first for sure, and then having conversations like this. How much have you learned from having your show? You yeah. know, like that was something that uh, Chris Ryan talked about when he was getting into podcasts, and you know, obviously he's been on Rogan's a number of times. I've learned a lot from him. He was on the same hunting trip with Ben Greenfield and Dr. Peter Tia and oh, Kyle wow. Tierman and all these great guys. Um, he's become a buddy of mine. But you know, when he was starting his podcast, he was like selfishly. I want to have a friendship with these people. I want to get to know them because they're people I admire and learn, have learned from. So selfishly, there is that. Like I yeah. want that, that deeper connection you get from face-to-face -face interviews. And then secondly, I want to share that wisdom with the world. And that's a great way to get it out there. You know, and that's something that has really resonated with me over the years. And thankfully, I've been able to afford face-to-face -face interviews where I can either travel to my guests or bring them out to Onnit in Austin and, and you know, yeah. Roll out the red carpet for him, so to speak. Yeah, it's amazing. So what's your what's your current diet and uh, like exercise regimen look like these days? What do you Yeah, I I'm working my way back into ketosis been we we spent a week in Costa Rica at Soltara doing ayahuasca and, and as I was telling you earlier, dieta for that plant medicine is pretty specific. Uh, it's less fat, no salt, and there's a hundred things I'm gonna leave out here on purpose just for the sake of time, but it's it's pretty heavy in starch and legumes hmm. um and that's okay just for that week and then we went to we went to mexico i could have gotten eaten just fajitas with a side of guac and not not messed and dabbled with the corn tortillas but i'm in fucking mexico like let me live <laughs> a little and not worry about it and then on this trip you know we're going from sacramento to san diego and back up to the bay before we fly home to austin interviewing people all along the way it's a lot of travel um so and because i haven't been in ketosis for the last two weeks I'm not going to attempt that now. Yeah. Uh, once I'm home next week, I'll drop back into ketosis and I'll probably do some type of cyclical ketogenic diet where I'm able to have a moderate amount of carbohydrates on carb days, maybe 150, 200 grams, probably once a week max, I'd say. Now, do you default to ketosis for body composition purposes for, or for, is it more for cognitive? It's cognitive, it's body composition. Um, I am working with a new company. We have sponsors on my show now. It's shifted from the On It podcast to the Human Optimization Hour to finally the Kyle Kingsbury podcast, which hopefully it'll stay. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's still health and wellness. I'm still going to have guys like you on right after the after this episode. Mm -hmm. And um, But it also opens up the doorway to have comedians or whoever else I want to have on the show and, and really talk about anything. Um, Damn it, I totally lost my train of thought where I was going with that. What was the question right before? Ketosis, like ketosis. cognitive. Yeah. yeah. How so, apropos. See, there you go. There you go. Not in ketosis right now. Uh, also, uh, have Montezuma's revenge from Mexico. So oh, that's, that is quite depleting. Hydration, the ultimate biohack, right? What is it? I forget the numbers, but they say like at least a 2% drop in performance when you're dehydrated. Yeah. And an even higher amount drop in mental performance. Oh, man. So I've, I've had diarrhea for the last four or five days and that's that's it's not fun um but i definitely feel it in in these these conversations um so yeah i i really feel and you know you could there's other ways to hack ketosis like if i'm eating 
like on a, on a longer stretch, more of a moderate carbohydrate. I'm never really going to three to 500. I'm always in the hundred to 200 range. Um, I'll supplement with MCT oil and exogenous ketones. And that's a way I can kind of bridge the gap. Plus if I've been in ketosis long enough, like a three or four month stand, um, it's, it's pretty easy to keep that metabolic flexibility and dip back and forth, especially while working out. So I think those are, those are kind of it. The, the main thing that stays with me throughout the year, um, with exception to, to road trips, things like this is, is all always intermittent fast. So I'm always 16, eight or, you know, 18, six, or even 20, 20 hours off, four hours on, on certain days. If I'm not working out, I'll extend the fast. I think that has huge benefits for longevity, huge benefits for cognitive function, huge benefits for fat loss and composition. And I don't really train. This is me working my way into the training section. I don't really train like I used to, you know, in fighting, I train two or three times a day, five days a week, have a moderate day and then a day off towards the end of my career. I take two days off that were active recovery days, you know, a lot of walking, swimming, that kind of stuff, maybe go for a hike, but now I'm working out. I'd say I'd lift weights two or three days a week. I've lifted more on the road because I don't really have the landscape to go for a run or I don't want to smell all these cars in LA while I'm here. Sure. So if I can get to the beach and go for a run, I will, but not with Montezuma's revenge. <laughs> so uh, generally though, it's, it's two to three days a week. I'm lifting. I'll do one high bout, you know, high intensity interval training. My favorite comes from Joe Mercola. It's called the sprint eight. Hmm. So you pick like, um, you can do this outside without equipment, but my favorite is just to grab an assault bike or an airdyne and you go 30 seconds. You warm up for two minutes, moderately all nasal breathing. This is my own at my own take from McKenzie and the guys is to do the nasal breathing during the warm up. Hmm. Any workout I do, it's nasal breathing during the warm up. Hmm. but you're, you warm up for a couple minutes on the bike. Then it's 30 seconds all out 90 seconds, active recovery still on the bike. And that'll go for eight rounds total. And then a two minute cool down. That workout is 20 fucking minutes. And it will annihilate you. Yeah. And it's not, you know, I did so much high intensity interval training and fighting that I really resented it and didn't, I was like, never doing it again. <laughs> it's long and slow. I'll do zone two cardio, like a nose breathing walk or a conversation pace run rather, uh, or jog, nose breathing jog. Or uh, another one that I do is I'll do nose breathing on a concept two rower and row a 10K, which mm. takes about 40 minutes or less. And I can listen to Audible. You know, it doesn't have to be pump me up music for that. I'll probably do the long and slow once or twice a week, sometimes three days a week. And I'll hit that high intensity interval training once a week Amazing, alongside the two, but it's, it's really based on feel, you know, I don't have a training split, you know, like bodybuilders, which in, in health and wellness, they kind of get knocked, but there is a time and a place for hypertrophy and gaining muscle and size. And I think a lot of people like training that way, but there's no training split where I'm like, this is deadlift day or this is arms and chest day or any of that shit. It's just based on feel. And a lot of times I'll hit full body workouts where I'm doing some type of lower body, either a squat or a deadlift or, or kettlebell swings or front squats. And then I'll work that into some type of row, maybe some steel mace work, some kettlebell work, snatches, some type of press overhead or bench variation, those kind of things. And, um, so the workouts, you know, I started with, the typical as most guys did in the eighties, um, bodybuilding style workouts, then training at ASU. We had one of the best strength coaches in the world. He was the you know, only guy to ever win strength coach of the year in division one football, as well as the NFL. And he's a head strength coach for the Carolina Panthers coach, uh, Joe Ken big mm -hmm. house. Mm -hmm. And, um, he taught me a lot, 
you know, but, but really like how you train as an athlete is different than how you train just to gain muscle. And so I implement a bit of each, you know, and that varies for some weeks. I'll spend a couple of weeks just doing hypertrophy, old school bodybuilding, you know, a lot of rope presses and shit like that. Yeah. Other weeks I won't fuck with a single exercise. There's anything to do with that. It'll all be kettlebells. It'll all be maces. It'll all be functional stuff. Wow. And then other weeks it'll be more powerlifting where I'm squat, deadlift, bench, and a lot of heavy compound movements. Um, and then there's periods of time where I try to mix in all of that. Uh, but it really is based on feel and, and what I'm up for and what I feel like pushing to. But I think not having a template is great if you're not a professional athlete. If you're a professional athlete, you got to have a template. You got to be working towards something. There's a reason and an intention behind the training. For me right now, it's just doing things that I really enjoy. And if I really enjoy it, that's what keeps me coming back. Like not knowing like, oh, fuck, I have a max effort squat today. (laughs) Even if I feel like I want to squat, I can show up and decide as I'm warming up. Damn, my body feels pretty good. It's pretty primed. Maybe I'll go heavy and and do uh, you know a few sets of triples or I'll hit five sets of doubles and, and really go heavy. Or body's a little tight, but I do want to get a good pump, so I'll do an old school set of 20 with two and a quarter you know, and just pump my legs out and see, mm. how, see how many sets I can get in, how many reps I can get in and do volume training. But having that flexibility keeps it fun and fresh, and then I'm always enjoying my time in the gym. And at the end of that, jump in the sauna, yeah. feel pretty damn good, grab a shake from the cafe and, and, and call it a day when it comes to the training. So I think that that's really where my training's at now. It's definitely based on feeling. That's one of the ways that I tap into that. I think any way we can start to tap into how we feel and train based around that, that connects us to our bodies a bit more. And there's periods of time where I take off any self-quantified device and I'll go a week or two without it and I'll just try to listen to my body. How did I sleep last night? There's no sleep score. There's no recovery aspect for me to, for me to look at numbers wise, but I can start to attach that feeling and move based upon that. So great. Such great advice. I definitely, you know, second that it's smart to develop your sort of intuitive compass. I'm just curious why the emphasis on uh, nose breathing, because I'm sure some of my listeners are going to be wondering about that. It's a big one. I learned it from the Art of Breath guys. And first, they, I don't know if they've talked about it and unplugged, but Brian McKenzie, Dr. Andy Galpin, a lot of these guys are really moving the bar on all the various ways that breath work impacts us. Hmm. So people have heard of Wim Hof breathing. It's an incredibly powerful tool. Um, free diving, you know, CO2 retention, incredibly powerful tool in the ways you train for that. And there's several apps for free diving apps uh, that can help you with CO2 retention. But really what Brian gets into in his Art of Breath seminars, we've had them out on it, they've been on the show a couple of times, is how you prime the pulmonary. How do you prime yourself? And, and runners know this. A lot of times runners will do a warm-up, they'll feel good, they've got spring in their legs, and they'll go for a run, and it's only after the first mile or two that they feel like they're connected to their body and that they're able to run and their lungs have warmed up. Hmm. So why, not, why wouldn't you warm the lungs up alongside your body? Hmm. Right. So as you open up the body, you really do want to open up the lungs. And there's several ways to do this. You can unlock the psoas. They've got different methods to do it by hand. But I like, you know, little something like a ball that I can get in there and really lay on and, and open that up. So now when I take a deep breath, my ribs are actually expanding the way they should. Hmm. Right. Um, but if I warm up with nasal breathing, that also primes the body to warm up. And oftentimes, if you just start going, you, you, might start chest breathing right out of the gate, especially if you haven't trained the habit of belly breathing first and taking nice full breaths. Mm. So it, it forces us um, 
to really be able to utilize the full breath. And when we do that, now when I start to pick up the pace in a run, or if I'm doing a high intensity interval, you know, with that 30 seconds on mark hits, I might even keep that first 10 seconds of nasal until I have to breathe out of my mouth. Hmm. And as I'm slowing down in between sets, they call this gear shifting. So the first 30 seconds of the 90 off, I'll do Wim Hof style breathing, mouth, mouth. And then the second 30 seconds, nose, mouth, inhale through the nose. In the last 30 seconds, I'm back to nose, nose. So I shift gears down and you can get all of this online. Uh, what was it? Powerspeedendurance.com. Hmm. And you click on their art of breath and they even have an app now. I think it's called state because wow. how we affect our, our state of mind, our state of breathing, our, our, our internal state can be hacked through the breath. So that for sure is one of the most potent things and it's free once you know it. So yeah, you got to pay for the app or you got to pay for the program, but worth every fucking penny. Wow. So interesting. Well, we're out of time, Kyle Kingsbury. Uh, I got just one last question that gets asked to everybody that's on this on this show. But before we get to that, how can listeners find you on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, and and yeah, what's your podcast called? I'm happy you didn't mention Facebook because I'm off that. It's just Instagram <laughs> and Twitter. It's at Kingsboo on both of them. So K I N G S B U. That's my last name shortened. And um, the Kyle Kingsbury podcast. Boom. That's it. And you'll be able to hear my man, Max Lugavere, on yeah. there as well. Can't Again. wait. Hell yeah. Uh, all right. So the last question, Kyle, take this wherever you want. What does it mean to you to live like a genius? Hmm. It means being mindful about everything. And mindfulness gets thrown out there all the time as, as uh, almost like biohacking, right? But mindfulness to me is paying attention. So paying attention to what I put in my body, even when I'm on the road paying attention to how I sleep and how I set up my sleep. So that, that also means how I operate during the day, you know, and that's where the stillness practice comes in is in contemplation practice as well. If the first time I think of my day is right when I lay in bed at night, I'm fucked. That's going to cause a lot of thought to happen right before I go to sleep. That's going to be hard to turn off and that's going to mess up my sleep. So if I can spend times periods, maybe a little time of reflection at the end of the work day before I, become dad and have to entertain my son and be husband to my wife and all these things that affords me the ability to lay down when I lay down at night and not worry about shit to know that I've at least thought everything through and contemplated as much as I can. And then I sleep well, hmm. but that mindfulness extends into everything. So just being mindful about all the things that matter to me, how I interact with, with my son, with my wife, how I communicate with people, how I respond to stress. If something's hitting the fan at work or, you know, we, <laughs> we got to, Fuck, we rented a Toyota Sienna to be able to have all the gear. And there's four of us on this road trip for, for all the podcasts. And they said, you know, we're fresh out of, we're fresh out of minivans. Um, but we've upgraded you to a 12 passenger rapist van for the trip. And I'm like, oh, God. oh you've upgraded me at no extra cost. So the gas mileage is the same. Uh, I'm going to be able to park this in LA. That's no and no. But can I roll with the punches? Because life will serve you to no end challenges and stressors and mm. really how I approach that without freaking the fuck out, that matters. That matters to my overall quality of life. And really that's that's what we're here for, right? How do I improve my quality of life? That's it. Amen. Kyle, this was brilliant. Thank you so much for being here with me. And to all you guys out there listening in podcast land, thank you so much for tuning in to The Genius Life. As always, I appreciate your time and attention. Share this episode with your friends, with your social circles. I'd really appreciate that. This has been another episode of The Genius Life. Peace.